Good morning. Today we have made it to the 11th week of our Summer in the Psalms series. And we've been looking at a psalm every week, different psalm every week, seeing how we can apply those to our lives. And I've been really enjoying going through these. I hope you have too. Um, we've, we've only got this week and next week before we're finished. And uh, then we're going to start on September 10th. We'll start something new. We're actually going to go through the uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that as well. This week, we're, like Jerry said, we're going to be in Psalm 146, and this psalm is toward the end of the whole book, and it's part where that is sometimes called the Hallelujah Psalms, and that includes the final five, final five psalms in the book, and each begins and ends with the phrase, praise the Lord, which we'll explain here in a second, and we're not sure who the author is because it's, it's not attributed like in some of the other psalms. And the main theme for this psalm seems to be about trust. While I was working in the plasma donation industry a long time ago, uh, there were times where I was flying to a different city like three times during a week. And uh, it would be like once at the start of the week and once in the middle of the week, and then I'd head home at the end of the week. And some of those places, a lot of those places were smaller. And so, you know, there would be two flights that I'd have to take and everything on some of those small planes where you look at them and you're like, that shouldn't stay in the air. But then you get to some of those big planes and you're like, that really shouldn't stay in the air. And, you know, I ended up having a lot of miles and everything when I was tra uh, traveling. But I didn't really, can, I don't know if I considered it then, but, like, you've really got to trust other people when you're flying, right? That's probably the thing that you may have to trust other people the most, um, like, I mean, you're, you're trusting when you travel anyway, but when you're flying, you have absolutely zero control over what happens to you during that. I mean, you can try and stay awake and pray that the, the, the airplane stays afloat the whole time, and that probably helps for sure. But, but you're trusting the pilot, right, and the co-pilot, that they're trained and they know what they're doing and they, they can fly the airplane. You're trusting the mechanics who took care of the airplane, make sure that they're you know, sound and able to fly. You're trusting that the designers of the airplane knew what they were doing when they designed it. And then you're trusting the forces of nature that are helping keep you 35,000 feet in the air. And truly we're able to trust because statistically speaking, of course, it is still the safest way to travel. Now, air travel has done the things to earn our trust, Right? Well, in Psalm 146, we're going to see how God does the things to earn our trust. So let's start with the first two verses as we introduce the psalm. Verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. The reason this psalm is the first of the five or what are called the Hallelujah Psalms is because of the beginning and the ending where the author writes, Praise the Lord. In Hebrew, praise the Lord is hallelujah. That's what it means. Hallelujah means praise, and Yah is part of the Lord's name, like the first part of the Lord's name, Yahweh. And so that's why you notice where the passage types out Lord. Lord is in small caps, which signifies for us to use the Lord's name or that it replaced the Lord's name there. And one thing I want to mention here real quick is that when we're using hallelujah, when we're saying hallelujah, we, we, we should be careful when we're saying that because we are using the Lord's name. 
And we cannot forget that commandment, which says that you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So uh, that's number three on the list that's found in Exodus chapter 20. And so I just you know, take care when you're using the phrase hallelujah, because that literally does mean praise God, praise Yahweh. Right. Grammatically, this is a plural here. The author is imploring for everyone to praise the Lord. But then the psalmist points to himself. He says, to praise the Lord, my soul. It's like what we saw in Psalm 103, where he says, praise the Lord, my soul, meaning my entire being, my whole self, praise the Lord. And then in verse 2, we see the resolution from the author. I will praise the Lord with all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Now, this is not when he says, I will praise the Lord, I will sing. It's not a future tense verb. It's that he's resolving to do it. It's, you know, while I live, he says, I I will praise, I will sing praise. It's not something he's going to do in the future. It's not some isolated event. He says it's something that I will do as a continual practice. It's a lifestyle for him in response to God. Now, before we get to why we should trust and praise God, psalmist breaks to tell us who we shouldn't put our trust in, but who oftentimes we do, and that's humans. He writes in Psalm 146, verse 3, he says, Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Again, one of my jobs when I was working in plasma was as a quality assurance manager. Because we were the beginning process of making medications for people and, and because we were dealing with people who were taking their time to donate plasma and everything, there, there's some safety elements. And so we were heavily regulated by the Food and Drug Administration as well as the German Health Authority. Uh, my role as a quality assurance uh, manager was to ensure that we were following all the procedures that we were supposed to do um, so that everybody could remain safe while donating and that the plasma would be viable to make into Uh, medicine. And so if we messed up anywhere along the line, there was a strong possibility that we would need to destroy the donation if we couldn't figure out what happened or uh, whatever. But, uh, you know, inevitably employees, we would come up to them and they would be like, I I don't want to talk to you because you you hate me. (laughs) I'm like, I don't hate you. I just hate what you're doing. Um, But, you know, they, they... they would think that we were too harsh. They would think that we wouldn't trust them. And, you know, we'd say, no, 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 we, we, we trust you, but we're going to verify your work, right? Trust, but verify. That's what we would say. The reason that we'd have to do that, though, is because we know that people are people, and they're not perfect. They're going to make mistakes, right? And we all know this, right? Like, we know that there is no one who's perfect, nobody who gets everything right. But in a lot of things, we still try and trust people, but there is the one really important area where we can't trust anybody, and that's in our salvation. We cannot trust any human being by themselves in our salvation. We cannot find salvation in human beings regardless of their stature. That's what the psalmist is saying here. He says, don't put your trust in princes, in humans who cannot save. Humans are incredibly flawed, imperfect beings. Stemming from the fall in the Garden of Eden, we are broken. And eternally, we cannot save ourselves, nor can we save each other. The psalmist writes that when their spirit departs as well, they're going to return to the ground. 
And this echoes the curse in Genesis 3.19 where God says, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you, are, you will return. Not only will the humans die, but so are their grand plans. Because we're limited. We're imperfect. We cannot save. That's why we don't put trust in the humans who cannot save us. As Psalm 118, 8, 9 says, It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. But we don't trust humans for salvation, but we do put that trust in our Creator who can save us. Psalmist continues in verse one forty or verse five in chapter one forty six. He says, "Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God." For those who trust and follow God instead of humans, they will be blessed. It's a beatitude, right? Like we saw when we started this whole summer in the Psalms thing back in chapter one, verse one, where it says. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Remember, you had those two paths you could take. You could go the way of sinners and mockers, which leads to death, or you could go the way of God, which leads to life. It's like the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount as well, Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus has nine statements where he describes who are blessed or fortunate, happy, like true happiness, filled with joy. Those whose help is the God of Jacob, they will be blessed. Those whose hope is in the Lord. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2 says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And then that leads us to verse 6 in our passage, where the psalmist says this, He is the maker of heaven and earth. The sea and everything in them, he remains faithful forever. Genesis 1 and 2 gives us the account of creation, of the creation of the cosmos, right? And there's different interpretations of the accounts of Genesis. I'm not really super worried about those right now, but what's most important is to understand what we read in there is, is Genesis, what Genesis 1 1 says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, God created everything. He is the maker of everything, the heavens, the earth, the sea, literally everything in it. Always blows my mind when I try and think about that and because I cannot fully comprehend what that means. I can't comprehend the Lord fully because he is an infinite and all-powerful, and yet he still loves me and you. Blows my mind. But that's what the psalmist is pointing out in verse 6. That God created everything, and yet he still remains faithful forever. That's why we can put our trust in God, because that's his nature, that he is forever faithful. In the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah writes in chapter 3, verse 22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Or Deuteronomy 7, 9, which says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. In Hebrews 10.23, which says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. We're able to put our trust and our hope in the Lord 
because he is faithful and he's going to follow through with the things of which he's promised. Now you might ask, what does that look like, God's faithfulness? Well, that's what the psalmist goes on to in the next section. Verse 7 through 9 says, He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, and he frustrates the way, the ways of the wicked. We're going to look at these things one by one, but I want you to keep in mind, remember the comparison here that, that the psalmist is presenting. It is between God and humans, right? the princes that were presented in verses 3 and 4. We, we've already seen one point of separation between the two, that God is the maker of heaven and earth and everything in them and that he remains faithful forever, which human beings and rulers cannot do because their spirit will depart and they will return to the ground. The first thing that he talks about here is the Lord upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. That one's pretty self-explanatory, I think. Seeking justice, righteous justice, godly justice. The next thing is that the Lord sets prisoners free. We've got to look no further than the second book of the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, to see this. The Israelites being held captive in Egypt, and the Lord sent Moses to lead them from their captivity. God freed the Israelites. If we go back to the book of Genesis, Jacob's son Joseph was imprisoned in Egypt, and through God-driven circumstances, he came out of prison to become the second in command in the nation. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that God does not always free the prisoners in this life. We, we know from the Gospels that John the Baptist was killed while he was imprisoned. We know that Paul was imprisoned many times, and we know from tradition that he was executed. In fact, most of the apostles were executed. And, but while, while prisoners may not be rescued on this side of heaven, they will be on the other, finding true freedom in the Lord. And that's going to go for all of these things. You know, that, that we may not see it here necessarily, but we will see it in heaven. After this, the Lord gives sight to the blind. A couple ways we can look at this. It might be speaking literally about healing the blind and giving them sight. But there's also an aspect where it could be the opening of the eyes of somebody who's in ignorance or helplessness. If we look to the New Testament, we see Jesus was healing physical ailments. Luke 7:21. at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. The Lord also lifts up those who are bowed down those who are going through difficult times. They feel the burden of life on their shoulders. They're, they're bowed down under the weight of it. Psalm 38, verse 6 says, I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. And God's going to lift those who have this weight this morning in their lives. The Lord loves the righteous. Being righteous is doing what is right and pleasing to God. And we run into a bit of a problem here because, you know, as we look at the New Testament, look at what Paul's writing uh, in, in his letter to the Romans, 
quoting the book of Ecclesiastes in Romans 3.10. He says, as it's written, there's no one righteous, not even one. However, as followers of Jesus, we've been given his righteousness. So God loves the righteous, but he also frustrates the ways of the wicked. Those who don't love the Lord will experience frustration. The Lord also watches over, protects the foreigner, sustains the fatherless or the orphan and the widow. The Lord protects the least of these. He watches over and he cares for them. What we see in all of these is God's faithfulness, right? And even though it's not explicit in this, but we also see his compassion. Mark Furtado writes, God's compassion is not just a disposition within him. It's a disposition that motivates him to act in real time and space for real people with real needs. As God of such realistic compassion for people in need is a God to whom we can entrust our lives. So we have that list, but there's one more thing, one more thing that we need to see about God and his faithfulness, and that's found in verse 10, where it says, The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. The Lord is king, and his reign is eternal. Unlike the earthly princes mentioned in verse 3, God's reign will never end. And again, that royalty, those human princes, they're, they're eventually going to die. Their plans are going to die with them. They're going to come to nothing, really. They die when their princes die, but, but God reigns forever because he is faithful, because he is compassionate, because he loves his children. That should give us hope. And our hope is in the Lord our God. Psalm 145, which is actually what we're going to look at next week as we finish up, is Psalm 145. But it's got this verse that, that talks about this in verse 13. It says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all his promises, in all he promises, and faithful in all he does. No one can dethrone our God. Nothing can upset his plans. He will reign forever. And so what should our immediate response be? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's our initial response, but should be more to it. God sent us the way of rescue from our prison, right? From our captivity. Because we are captive to sin and to death. And like Paul wrote, none of us are righteous on our own. We cannot be good enough to help or to save ourselves. But because God loves us so much, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty for our sin and has provided us a way out of our prison to live in freedom for eternity. Jesus Christ, whose righteousness has been given to us, Jesus is fully human. So he's like those princes that we've been talking about in verse 3, the human beings. But, but he is also fully God, having conquered death three days after dying on the cross. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father and will reign forever. 
The psalm talks about God as the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in it. Well, John 1, 3 says that through him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing that was made has been made. And so he was there, he's present, he's part of the creation story. In Luke, when John the Baptist's disciples were sent to ask if Jesus was the one who was, who was to come, if he was the promised Messiah, here's what he told his follower, John's followers to tell John. It says in Luke 7, 22, So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. When we give our lives over to Jesus, when we give them fully over to him, then not only are we blessed with eternal life, which is a pretty good perk, but we also have the opportunity to live out the very same things that the psalmist was writing about God in, in verses 7 through 9. We should have the same heart as the Lord for the oppressed and seek justice, true, godly justice for them. We should give food to the hungry and do our best to help set people free from captivity. We can come alongside those who are hurting physically or emotionally and help lift them up and pray for them. We love what's righteous, the things of God. And we look after, we protect the stranger, the foreigner, we sustain and care for orphans and widows. So many times Jesus talked about that, all of these things. In the end, we don't do them for our glory. Because what glory do we have? We don't try and get the acclaim. We don't try and do it for attention. But we do all things for the glory of God. Because he is the one who enables us. He is the one who we follow after. And we're really just trying to be like him trying to be like Jesus, who, who was the perfect model for this, for us. He came to this earth. He, he, took on human, he took on humanity, and he showed us the way. He showed us how to do it. And now, as his followers, we have the Holy Spirit within us, to be able to help us to do those things as well. And so we say, as the psalmist does in the, first, in the last five psalms, praise the Lord. We all say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, my soul. And we have that same resolve that the psalmist had. I will praise the Lord. I will sing praise to God as long as I live. Praise the Lord, because it's not about me, right? It is only about Him. So it's a short one today, but that's all right. Rick always said, nobody ever heard a bad short sermon. <laughs> but that should be our, our call. We praise God, and then we, we go do the things that that. We trust God for. We go help in the call. We see where we're needed, and we come alongside and help out as best we can. Imperfectly, but as best as we can. Amen?
Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful that you are faithful, that you are faithful forever. Lord, you are, are why we're here. You're, you're why that we come to this place on Sunday mornings. We come throughout the week, too, and, and we worship you because of who you are, because of what you've done for us and for others throughout this world, throughout history. Because you think so much of us that, that you didn't want us, your creation, to, to just die and, and be put into the ground, but to live with you forever. That we may worship you and praise you and give you all the honor and glory and everything that you deserve. And it is because you are faithful. We see it all throughout the Old Testament where you make promises and then you keep them. And we see the most important promise that you gave us, which was that you were going to send someone to save us, to rescue us, to become one of us. And you did send him as a little baby in a town called Bethlehem to live a life that didn't seem important, really. And yet it was so important. Even when he was on a cross, being crucified, being executed as a criminal, he did it for us. Taking our sins to that cross and nailing them there. Becoming sin for us so that we might be able to be with you. And we know that he also conquered death three days after that time on the cross as he came back and out of the tomb. Father, we take the time in our service here at the end to remember that sacrifice that Jesus made for us as we take the communion, the bread, representing his body, the juice representing his blood, was broken, that was spilled for us. But we rejoice because you were faithful and brought him back. Conquering death forever so that we may be with you. All we can say is hallelujah. Praise the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.